Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The CV CV Report. TPS Report. The CV Report. Give us one word to describe what you're going through right now. Sucky. <laughs> Sucky. Yeah. <laughs> Look, any self-respecting veteran should grow a beard and have a belly. That's the dumbest thing I've heard all day. Like, if we're going to start getting angry now, it's it's a little late. Is live in D.C. with the update on all of this. Good morning. Maybe. I guess not. The CV Report. Welcome to the CV Report. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. And on today's podcast, well, we've got some warnings for you. A warning about what type of military hardware you shouldn't try to cram in your carry-on. You want to see this crazy thing that I've got in my shoebox under my bed? A warning to any junior enlisted about the Mexican cartel type who offers you money to just give someone a ride in your car. Not sure there's any service member you could target with that except for lower enlisted Marines. Because they might be the only ones that would fall for it. (laughs) Yeah, sad but true. And a warning from our special guest. Dwayne France, founder and host of the Headspace and Timing podcast. Dwayne France is an Army combat vet turned mental health counselor. And he'll share with us the very real dangers for veterans who spend too much time going down military memory lane. We'll discuss his article, Why Veterans Want to Go Back to Combat. That's all coming up next. All right, and as you just heard in the opening to the podcast, we have some interesting headlines to go through. And as always, my colleague and reporter Libby Howe is going to tell us everything we need to know, including the story about, can I just give the setup? Yeah, go for it. Is this a missile in your pocket or are you just glad to see me? Wow, if I knew that was what you were going to say, I would have said no. Okay. (laughs) Some crazy headlines and, uh, you know, you just can't make this up. So uh, let's go ahead and start with the missile. You want to start with that one? All right. TSA officers at BWI confiscated a missile launcher from the checked baggage of a Jacksonville, Texas resident claiming he was traveling home from a deployment in Kuwait. Crazy, right? And it even showed a picture, if I'm not correct, right? Yeah. A picture of a like a Griffin missile launcher or some kind of missile launcher. It was like a big gray greenish tube. Yeah. It looked to be about, what, three, four feet long? Yep. And the diameter was like a... Like a, like a dinner plate. It wasn't a skinny thing. It was a large, large... I, I'm wondering how big his checked baggage was that he had enough extra space for a missile launcher, but I guess you don't bring a lot over to Kuwait with you, do you? No, right. And when you're coming back from deployment, you know, you're you're just typically, you know, down to uniforms and a couple civvies that you had. Uh, I remember that even, you know, from my time in the Navy. Uh, what I don't remember is people trying to bring stuff back. And of course... 
you know, my time is different. I was not a warfighter, so I wasn't in a combat zone. Um, I have heard stories before. Have you of like dumbasses that have tried to bring back some really crazy stuff from, you know, the war zone? Yeah, I feel like that's a pretty common practice. And then, of course, I've got those older veteran uncles and grandparents and stuff that you want to see this crazy thing that I've got in my shoebox under my bed. And it's some weird contraband that they brought back from freaking Korea or something that they definitely aren't supposed to have. So this is definitely a pretty common practice. I don't know about something that large and obvious, though. <laughs> like a missile launcher. Man, what is wrong with you? Uh, although I am envious of, like, say, my grandfather. He had uh, he, he had a German Nazi 22 caliber rifle. Yeah, a lot of he, knives. Got a lot of friends with knives. He brought home back Nazi patches yeah. and Nazi uniform medals. And, like, I mean, he obviously took them off a soldier on the battlefield and it's just so cool to hold that in my hand, that like piece of history. I, I'm not so sure that a U.S. <laughs> missile launcher yeah. holds that same kind of nostalgia. But can I tell you the craziest story I ever heard about somebody trying to bring something back? What? I mean, maybe not the craziest, but a crazy story for certain. Um, do you remember when the movie Combat Obscura first came out? Mm-hmm. And I talked to the filmmaker, Maz Lugosi, uh, combat veteran marine and he told me that at one point he's like people were always doing dumb shit and he said that one guy tried to bring back a hand grenade hmm. on the plane hmm that's like, pretty bad that's pretty bad that's, i mean yeah it would have fired that's obviously not great <laughs> see i thought you were going to say something about like a goat or a part of a goat or something like that so grenade kind of fell a little flat for me but <laughs> What, think, what, what was somebody want with the damn goat? I don't know. Just the craziest thing you could try to bring back. And my brain went human, and I was like, no one would do that. And then it went goat. So, But <laughs> hey, grenade's but, pretty crazy. But that brings us to our next story. Speaking right. of humans, um, human trafficking is a thing. And I'm not saying that they try to smuggle them out of combat zones, but apparently some Marines have been in trouble for just that. Right. So 18 Marines and one Navy corpsman from Camp Pendleton have been arrested on charges related to migrant smuggling. What the story is, is basically these Marines, they're lower enlisted level Marines and this Navy corpsman are approached by uh, people claiming to be recruiters or people with fast cash if you know how to drive and you have an American driver's license. And they're picking up people north of the border. So they're in the United States, but they're picking up people north of that border and bringing them to other places. And there's a lot of, they're not actually getting paid because these guys are getting scammed. So you pick up the people, you drop them off and they're like, oh, we're not going to pay you until you do this next job. Just do this one more job for us and you'll get paid. And of course, these Marines aren't going to go report them or go to the police or anything because they're smuggling humans. So I thought that was rather interesting. Um, not sure there's any service member you could target with that except for lower enlisted Marines because they might be the only yeah. ones that would fall for it. And you know what? They're out there. I mean, there's scam right. artists everywhere you go looking to take advantage of the E1 through E4 uh, I remember it even in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, you know, there were guys out there that, you know, would try to get you to do drug deals for them or help you chop shop a car or help use your loan ability. You know, the fact that yeah. they're all credit worthy. The scams are frequent and they're always out there. It's like he was just looking for some quick cash and this opportunity fell in his lap. So it's not like they, I don't think, had some ring established for the sole purpose of human smuggling. I think it was just what, maybe 
eight some Marines that were just dumb enough to fall for the scam. Yeah, I don't think that there was any sort of organization going on among the Marines that were participating. It was the scammers that were, and I can see how, sure, they're already north of the border. It would seem like maybe you're not doing anything illegal or anything that would get you arrested, maybe, if you didn't think it through that clearly or that deeply, but they're falling for it, all right? I'm telling you, man, if it seems too good to be true, it's too good to be true. Young devil dogs, young sailors, (laughs) if you guys find yourself being offered thousands of dollars to do something that seems relatively simple, it's illegal. And also double check the girl you're online dating right now, too, because she's probably not real either. There's a lot of that going on right now as well. (laughs) All right. Livy Howe, thank you for always finding the unusual and the interesting for the headlines here on the CV Report. Thanks a lot. All right, next up on the podcast is a gentleman who I follow on social media because he always has something to say that helps me with my own headspace, and I'm talking about Dwayne France. Dwayne, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for having me back. Oh, always good. Always good. Because, uh, you know, like I said, I, I, I do read what you write, and sometimes it's not even the most recent thing that, that speaks to me. And I found an article here on your website, veteranmentalhealth.com, and it's from your Headspace and Timing blog which is related to your podcast, but it's from a year ago. And can I just read the opening lead here that just literally sucked me in? Well, sure. Absolutely. Uh, all right. The headline alone drew me in when it said, why would veterans want to go back to combat? If you had a choice after all these years, would you go back? Absolutely. In a heartbeat. You write, this is something I hear from veterans I work with all the time. Dwayne, tell me about this. This isn't a new article, but it's a thing that's kind of a constant theme in the veterans that you work with in the mental health space. Why would veterans want to go back? Right. And it's constant theme, uh, I think, for a lot of service members, right? You served in the Navy, right? Did you ever ever have that uh, feeling like you, you might want to have gone back in at some point? You know, I remember it vividly. Yeah, I did, as a matter of fact. Of course, there was 9-11 that was a call mm-hmm. to service for so many people uh, that did re-enlist. Um, I had just gotten out and I had a radio job, so I didn't answer the call then. But I thought a couple times during my 30s when the career calling I had in radio seemed to become a little lackluster. <laughs> I wasn't always happy in my current job. I did think you know, longingly about those days when I was an E4 on the ship and we had liberty, and I was like, man, if only I could go back to the fleet now, I wouldn't have you know, rent payments and I wouldn't be back on my bills and I wouldn't have all this crap to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that nostalgia piece, right? You know, it's uh, uh, the grass is always greener in the yards we used to be in and, and stuff like that. And uh, the army, we have a saying, the best unit is always the one you just left. It's never in the one that you're in. Um, but I was actually having a conversation with a, uh, a community member one time and um, we, we, to be honest, uh, we were doing some um, like media preparation training and, and he was trying to get to know me and he was like, you know, close your eyes. And um, if you open your eyes and you could be anywhere in the world, um, the family's taken care of and and everybody's safe and you could literally be anywhere in the world, where would you be? And it sort of struck me in the first thought. And, and really, this was the whole point. The first thought that came to my mind was I would go back to RC East Afghanistan, which was my first Afghanistan deployment, my second combat deployment overall. 
um, extremely kinetic, um, multiple firefights. We were on patrol every two or three days. Um, uh, it, people were injured. People lost limbs. We lost people there on that deployment. It was arguably, uh, for me, the most kinetic, uh, but also looking back on it, it's also the um, the time where uh, that I appreciated the most. I'm still connected with a large number of of the the folks that I deployed there with. It was, it was literally the best of times and the worst of times, um, and that's a common uh, common feeling for a lot of veterans. Not just wanting to go back because it's easier, but wanting to go back because there's a a sense of purpose. Right? I, I was doing something important. Um, we were accomplishing the mission. We were at the top of our game, the prime of our lives. That kind of stuff. Now, in your therapy or in your sessions with veterans that you speak with, what do you do when they say that that's where they'd really prefer to be? I mean, isn't that sort of the beginning of what makes a veteran then slip into a darker place, which then can lead to, oh, I don't know, things like thinking life isn't worth it right now, or this Mm -hmm. life sucks Mm -hmm. compared to that life? It's important for the veteran to recognize, right? You know that that um, there's something in my life right now that is causing me to want to be nostalgic, right? You know, it's a uh, maybe for you and I, uh, we think of Al Bundy, right? Always live in the 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 high school football game or or Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, right? Always yeah. living in the past. <laughs> this idea of something in my life right now is is not as good as I remember it, and it's never as good as we usually do remember it. Um, but it's a departure point to say. Yes, I did enjoy that time and there is a draw there, but it's also say what's going on in my life right now that isn't as satisfying as that. I had a a, a guest on the show, Dr. Larry Decker, who is a a long time. He's worked with generations of of veterans starting in the late 70s. Um, And he has this idea of it's a disrupted transformation, right? The military sends us through these hardship uh, events. Um, and it's almost like, and, and of course, Marines know of the crucible, but it's this, this transformative process that transform us into this, this other thing. And so you have the hardship, and then you have to learn to come to terms with the hardship and how the hardship has changed you. Not necessarily trauma, although there is a lot of that, but just the stress of the military. Um, you go through that, but then if you don't actually come to terms with what happened and how do I take what was good from there and apply it to my life and deal what with, with what was bad and, and leave it behind um, and recognize that there were some things that happened over there that were appropriate, like anger and, and, and fear and, and, you know, emotional disconnect, um, that those were appropriate there and they're no longer appropriate here. So really, for me, it's a way to kind of start having the, this, this discussion of let's transform to our post-military lives. So as a mental health counselor, when you're hearing things like this, you know that that's now a sign that you need to get them to embrace their current life. And instead of looking through the rear view, start, start really looking through that windshield and seeing what's next. No, you're uh, you're on top of this. Matter of fact, uh, the third book that's coming out is going to be uh, military in the rear view, right? Because if we're if we're driving down the road and we're constantly looking in the rear view mirror, the side view mirrors, if we're constantly looking behind. Number one, we're not watching where we're going uh, in front of us, and and we're likely going to miss beneficial things um, in our lives right now if we're constantly walking through life backwards, looking at the past. Now, what are some things people should consider doing if they find themselves reminiscing too much? Not that sweet memories are, you know, bad, but I mean, if you find yourself living in the past, um, is that a sign you should maybe be looking for a new job? 
Is that a sign you should maybe pick up a new hobby or do something with your kids more often? I mean, what kind of physical, tactile things do I need to do if I find myself strolling down memory lane too much? Well, the first thing really is awareness, right? You know, this idea of if I'm doing nothing but sitting in my uh, my man cave or my she shed and I'm only looking at, uh, you know, the, the metals on the wall and thinking of years past, it goes beyond, um, like you said, reminiscing and, and meeting up with buddies and, and laughing over good times to rumination, right? If I'm, if that's constantly what I'm focusing on and that's really the only thing and man, I wish I were back and, you know, I've gone back to the recruiter three or four times and and they told me, look, you, it can't, you know, it can't happen. Um, so that's one thing is the awareness is the key piece, but then a lot of those things from the awareness comes the action and the action really the question that drives is what's going on in my life that I'm not satisfied with. Could it be, you know, it's a decent job. It pays the bills. That may not be where I need to find my meaning and purpose. Um, I may need to find a new hobby or I may need to find a new outlet. You know, one of the things that um, you continue to serve after your military service in your own way, you continue to give back to the community. Um, arguably, the writing and the, the clinical work that I do and the speaking, um, it's as meaningful to me, if not more meaningful than my time in the military. Um, so it's really you know, there's there's this space in our lives after we leave the military, right? It was it was very regimented, um, and we have to figure out how to fill that space. Sometimes that fa- space gets filled for us in in negative ways, right? So, um, uh, uh, unhealthy relationships, or or you know, substance use and abuse, or um, you know, dangerous activities. Sometimes unwittingly that space is filled with things that aren't beneficial for us. But it's really taking the time to say, okay, what can I fill my space with? The space, this whole that the military left me in, whether I was in for four years or 24 years, you know, is a significant part of my life. And once you leave that, you feel the loss and then you have to fill that void in, in a different way. Mm, wonderful stuff. Uh, and I'm so glad I read this because you know what? I do talk to people who all the time are, are identifying themselves as veteran, as warfighter, as warrior. Um, in closing, what are your thoughts on the slippery slope? Should we be cautious if we're, wearing our grunt style shirts or if everything about our identity is a logo from, you know, our former division or our former battalion, um, should we find that to be like a warning sign? Well, now you're hitting close to home because I'm wearing a pair of uh, Army combat uniform cutoffs, yeah. but it's my day off. So, um, <laughs> And, and but, I wear them too, man. I got Navy shirts. Right. I got the cami yeah. shorts. I mean, I love well, it. And again, it's this idea of, you know, it's uh, alumni, you know, um, where the, the team shirts, right? You know, you know who's is from Baylor, right? Because they wear all the Baylor stuff, right? Yeah. And so and, and, and so there is a level of that of pride of the, the accomplishments of your past. But again, it's, it's, it's not whether or not it's happening. It's how often or how deep it's happening. Um, I, I kind of describe it as, you know, this idea of this disrupted transformation. There is a tunnel, let's say, between the military service and say, our fully transitioned post-military lives. That tunnel can be, you know, however long it is for some Vietnam veterans, that tunnel's 40 years long where they've just been stuck in that tunnel. To be honest, I've got an uncle um, who, and I, and I wrote about it actually in that article, my, my uncle, when I deployed to Iraq, he was like, you know, take me with you, kid. And I'm like, brother, you're like 60 <laughs> years old, right? So you're not coming back. But, but really kind of this idea of still Saigon in his head. So if our entire identity is wrapped around 
um, you know, uh, our former military status, then we've not really um, moved on. You know, um, I was listening to another show a while back and, and they were talking about this life stage transition. Um, I would hate to hang out with the 20 year old me. I'd be totally, um, you know, irritated. The 20 year old me definitely would not want to hang out with the 45 year old me. We go through different <laughs> stages right, in our right. lives. And, and so we move on and we progress. And so if there is this sort of disrupted transformation, um, then we kind of get stuck in that tunnel. Now, that being said, me specifically, you very much so, but, but me even more so, maybe I've gone through that tunnel and I've gone back into the tunnel and I kind of help veterans navigate their way through. I, you know, people don't talk to me very long before the word veteran comes out of my mouth or veteran mental health, because that's what I've chosen to focus on in my post-military life. Um, if I were going to be an economist, I wouldn't talk as much about my, you know, the veteran stuff or the mental health. It just, it's, it's, it's what I've chosen to focus on in my post-military life. So, you know, no, I don't, you know, go out in my camis and, and, you know, go shopping with my grunt style, um, you know, t-shirt and everything else. Um, and yet I still have a form identity, but it's really kind of an evolved identity if, if that makes any sense. No, and in fact, the tunnel is really an incredible way to put it, and that's why I'm glad I called upon you, and that's why I continue to read your stuff. Dwayne France, you're a mental health counselor, and you're doing great work for veterans out there in Colorado. Uh, we can find you at Headspace and Timing. That's the name of the podcast. And uh, tell me the website again. It's VeteranMentalHealth.com. VeteranMentalHealth.com, right on. The article we've been talking about, Why Would Veterans Want to Go Back to Combat? You wrote it about a year ago, but it's as meaningful today as the day you penned it. Thank you very much, Dwayne. Just so good talking to you, and I just always love the fact that the Headspace and Timing Podcast always has a guest that helps us get stuff right in our own head and helps us come out of the tunnel. Absolutely. Appreciate it, Phil. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.